Good evening. It is good to be together this evening uh, to worship and a part of that to study God's Word. If you want to be open your Bibles in just a few moments, we'll begin again out of Colossians, the fourth chapter uh, that we've been looking at for a few weeks, and uh, we'll continue that lesson. I want to mention to you how good the fourth and fifth grade pre-teen retreat was this past weekend. Their theme was First Responders. And they studied the story of the Good Samaritan. And you'll see a lot of red shirts around tonight. And uh, we are thankful for Derek Hyde and his great job that he did speaking. That was very appropriate since he's a first responder and good at what he does also uh, with his work, but also in speaking. And Brian Suttles led singing. We appreciate Joe Parton and his family and the leadership uh, that they offered to that retreat. Also, we're thankful for the ladies retreat and the great good uh, that's done there. And we also want to mention to you tonight that there are business card size invitations to the single mother's car care clinic that we host each year in a way to say and express our love uh, to these ladies and to try to help them in an unconditional way. Uh, it's an area that a lot of the time, naturally, they can't do without their car. And uh, they also know usually very little about it. And so it is a way that they greatly, greatly appreciate. If you could just hear the things that they say in appreciation about this day. And so these cards are available. And the back of the card has where they can complete the name and, and et cetera. And they can actually give the card back to you and you can bring it back and turn it in. Or if they prefer, they can call the number and they can set up the appointment uh, themselves. But this is for May the 4th. It's on Saturday. And so be sure and help us get the word out about that. If you know single moms that you already especially have a relationship with that, that you could continue to encourage them along, uh, that's what we would love to be able to do. Also, if you want to help with that day as a mechanic, as someone that washes and details the cars or as ones that, that hosts the ladies or the children while they're here or even work the registration table. It takes a large group of people uh, to work that throughout the day and it continues to be a rewarding day and we give God all the glory for that. So be sure and let John Michael know uh, how you can help in that. Also, uh, we want to remember that the meeting tonight for the camp staff is immediately following services and we look forward to camp, but we need a lot of workers. And so even if you're thinking about helping with that, please be sure and be a part of that meeting tonight. Also, as mentioned this morning, we want to continue in our prayers to remember the situation in West Texas. And also, just so you will know that the elders have decided to go ahead and send a, a donation to the church there to help uh, the families there in rebuilding. Uh, several houses of even members of the church were lost, and I'm sure they're also going to try to reach out and help the community also. And so your generous giving on a regular basis makes that possible, and we're thankful for that. Do I have another announcement there? Okay. Uh, I, I did not bring up that sheet, so you lead me, okay, until we get there. Keep in mind that before the Friends Day that we're all looking forward to, we have Work Day. Figure out your place to get involved in that. And if you need anything about that, be sure and contact the church office. Contact John Michael through that. And we want you to be involved. And there's a place for you. So if you haven't found that place yet, trust me, you're needed. So be sure and let us know. Also about Friends Day, keep in mind, 
that the 6 p.m. service that we're part of right now will continue to meet here. Uh, if that is better for you, if that is more convenient for you, uh, we, of course, welcome you to be a part of this service. We are looking forward to Caleb Braden uh, preaching uh, Sunday evening. And uh, that he has not spoken many times, and, and I don't know as far as preaching if before the so uh, we're thankful for his willingness, and uh, we look forward uh, to hearing about the great job that he will do there, and also uh, Jerry Reynolds will be leading the singing, and we said a lot this morning, uh, but if that that has been communicated this morning leaves you with any questions, please don't hesitate to ask. Uh, we want this day to be comfortable. We don't want people to feel like I don't know what's happening or, or what is next. And uh, it really is a, a great day and we want you to feel comfortable about it. So if there's any questions that we need to answer in that, uh, the only thing that's a little bit different tonight than this morning is that the postcards that are left over and the business size invite cards are scattered throughout the windowsills and all throughout the foyer. So so if you're thinking, you know, I, I hated to grab several this morning because there were not many on my, my row, but yet you really need several more. They're scattered throughout. Please get as many as you need while the time lasts because obviously those invites do not do us any good sitting here. Also keep in mind the social media opportunities that you'll have this week. You figure out the timing for that. You figure out how you want to do that. But we beg you, uh, help us get the word out on that. When we think about the the month that we've been studying of real talk, real talk to God, real talk to God about opportunities and real talk to our neighbors. And, and you know that we're in the middle of this lesson of real talk to our neighbors about how we conduct our speech, not just in the sense of inviting someone, but in the sense of day-to-day -day language. How does that go? But I wanted to read to you and, and more tell you an email that I received last Sunday night. And the email was from Dana Suttles. And she described the scenario that I said to you last Sunday morning. This is a hypothetical situation. And I said, but I assure you, this happens on a regular basis all around us. And then she wrote just the, the neatest correspondence about this Sunday night. She said she just couldn't get it off her mind. She wanted to tell me this story. She told about her parents that married in 1955. And they had two sons first. And, and six years into their marriage, her mother continued to say to her father, I really want us to raise our sons in the church, although they had not gone to church as adults. And so the father kept putting it off. And then finally she pressured him and said, I really do. And he finally responded and said, you take the boys and you go. And usually this quiet woman that was usually not assertive spoke up and said, no, we are going to take the boys and we are going to go to church as a family. And so then he said, where, where are we going to go? And she said, I don't care where we go. I just want us to go to church together. And you know what his response was? There have been two co-workers that have invited me for years to church. And I've always said no. So if we're going to go, I like these two guys. They've invited us over and over. I want us to go to the Church of Christ that's just down the road. And they did. And they loved it. And people there welcomed them. And then later began studying with them. And later they were baptized into Christ. And now there he became a Bible class teacher, drove the school bus, led singing. She became a Bible class teacher. She's prepared the communion for years. 
I guess she's kind of like our Tony Eeks here. And, and, uh, and, and then the two sons are now faithful Christians, leading singing, working in the church. Their wives are faithful Christians. Of course, Dana and Brian and then Haley we talked about this morning and Hunter. Isn't it amazing that all of that and so much more that we don't even know about has come from two men that just continually invited. I beg you not to think that you wasted your time if you invite this year and whoever you're inviting isn't coming. You have not wasted any time. You have made another investment into the future. As a matter of fact, I want to read to you out of the last paragraph as she told that story I just told you. She said, I'm not trying to brag on my family or make them seem like a picture book perfect Christians. We are not that by any means. Instead, I am showing you how repeated invitations to worship impacted my family. There are no words to describe how grateful I am for dad's co-workers that they did not give up on asking my parents to worship with them. My father passed away in 2009, and I just can't help but think that the night my daddy died, he was reunited in heaven with those same faithful co-workers. What a beautiful, beautiful thought. Friends, we're not talking about making a day a great success. We're talking about investing in people's eternity. What is it that God would want us to do and as we started this morning, it may seem surprising that as God wants us to vest in others' eternity, in this particular passage, he says, I want you to think about how you use your tongue all the time. Not how you would craft an invitation, but how would you use it all the time? Let's jump right to Colossians, the fourth chapter. Look at verse six, Colossians four and six. Let your speech, what we covered this morning, always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. We talked about this morning, that would not be a challenge much at all if it just didn't have the word always in there. If you could just from time to time let your speech have graciousness to it. If you just a lot of the time could let your speech have a touch of graciousness to it. But when he says, let it always have words of grace, that becomes a high bar that is distinctively Christian. No one in the world lives by that standard. It sets us apart. It causes people to say, I like them. There's something different about them. I want to know what they have because whatever they have, I want to learn about that. Where did this come from? Friends, the only way that we could ever even strive for this and, and get a glimpse of what it would look like is because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you look with me at two passages in Luke? First, let's go to Luke, the fourth chapter. We just want to give the backdrop here of Jesus Christ and how did he speak? In Luke, the fourth chapter, we have Jesus going back to Nazareth where he grew up and he went to the synagogue and they handed him a scroll and he read there on the Sabbath from Isaiah. And then he was telling them that he was fulfilling literally the verses that he just read from Isaiah, which would have been an amazing moment in time. And look what he says in Luke 4 and 22. So all bore witness to him and marveled at what? The gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? You see, there, there was something that was hard for them to deal with. They were listening to what kind of words? Gracious words, words that were bringing life, words that were amazing words. But yet at the same time, they're saying, but wait a minute, 
We know who he is. He's Joseph's son. How can he be claiming such words as this? Tonight, if people were going to describe you, if they were going to describe the way you talk, would it get anywhere in the neighborhood of people saying their speech is grace-filled? They talk about things that really matter. They value God. They value other people. They talk about things that pertain to eternity. They talk about the living word of God. How would we be described? Here Jesus is described as one who talked and spoke gracious words. Flip over to Luke the 11th chapter. This reminds me of a little bit of what we studied a few weeks ago about Daniel. I'd like for you to notice they were fed up with Jesus, those that were jealous of him in Luke the 11th chapter, and they were trying to trip him up so that they could falsely or accuse him. And if they couldn't accuse him righteously, they were willing to accuse him falsely, and that's what put him on the cross. But look here where they were trying to accuse him righteously, and they just wasn't working. Look in 53. And as he said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross examine him about many things. Look at 54. Lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. Isn't that interesting? It was the idea of, hey, we've got to find something wrong with this man. What are we going to do? Let's listen to everything he says. Let's find something that he says that is wrong and then let's nail him to the stake, literally. And you know what? They couldn't find anything wrong with what he said. If someone could spy on you and I for this next week, just waiting to find us using our tongue one time in the way that it ought not to be used, how long would they have to wait to say, we caught you? Friends, we talked this morning about the fact that on earth, we're going to make mistakes. There's not any of us perfect. There's going to be times we misuse our tongue. But we are reminded today from the scriptures, what is the standard? Are we truly trying to be individuals that are constant, consistent, in speaking words that are gracious, words that are righteous. Now, at this point in the study, you may have been kind of like I was at this point when I was writing this lesson. I still had this gnawing about me to say, but exactly, not taking any verses out of context, leaving them in the context still, what would gracious language be? Lord, if you're going to challenge us to let everything that comes out of our mouth be gracious, what would that be? And when you look at the passage we're about to go to, you may think, but that's so far from the other verses. But when you look at the sister epistle, you know, Colossians, and be looking back if you would, Colossians 3. Colossians and Ephesians are, are sister epistles. They, Paul wrote to both of those places about the same things. And so what is amazing, and, and we'll do this in just a little bit later, we will look and we will see that in Paul's mind, and what's interesting is we did this earlier. We, when we first went into this series, we looked at a little bit out of Colossians 2 to look at the sufficiency of Christ, that he can make us sufficient. Then we went to Colossians 3. His sufficiency is so great, he can change us into a new creation. And we looked at some of the things that take off and some of the things we put on. And because of that, it affects our day-to-day -day life. And then that's what we've been studying over the past few weeks. 
But did you know that Paul even looks at these things that we take off and that we put on in connection with the tongue? And we know that clearly from Ephesians. But I want you to see it from this list in Colossians and then later we'll go over there and call this a lesson. Look, if you will, in Colossians, the third chapter. We're going to begin by reading 8, 9, and 10 as we read these. This list is not only things of the tongue, but I would like for you to notice that things that he says must be put off are things that our tongue is involved in some way with all of this list. And, uh, and I also would like you to note verse 10 because it's the only way that we have hope is that we become something new. So here's how it reads. If we want to know what are gracious words, these are words that we have to take out of our vocabulary. And here's how he reads. But now you yourselves are to put off all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and having put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to what? The image of him who created him. Remember we talked several weeks ago, but that image there is icon. We are to be an icon of Jesus Christ. The way we talk, people should say, I know Jesus a little bit better because I know that Christian right there. They have taught me by their use of the tongue what Jesus would sound like in the way that he conducted day-to-day -day affairs. Does your children know Jesus better because of the way you speak? Does your spouse know Jesus better because of the way you speak? Do your coworkers, your neighbors, uh, extended family, do the people in your life know Jesus better because of the way you speak? Now I'd like for you to notice here, he gives a list of things that we are to take off and there are things that are tied to the tongue. Now on this next slide, it's the same in that verse we just read, but we just have in a list order. And I want to quickly give you some brief descriptions of what these words mean from the original language. Anger here from the original language has to do with the idea of implication of punishment. In other words, have you noticed that usually when we get angry enough as someone, we believe that it's our place to punish them? And do you realize that that is not why God created language? Godly parents punish their children. Are you listening to this? Godly parents punish your children. Godly adults do not punish anyone else with their language. If you're using your language to punish other people, that is not what language was designed for. That's not gracious talk. How many times have you heard someone stand and talk to one person and at the same time they're saying it loud enough because they're trying to put somebody else over there in their place? That's not gracious talk. It's not our place to put people in their place. Romans the 12th chapter, which is our reading this week in the mailbox series, he makes it very clear when you read Romans 12, it's not our place to seek vengeance. It's not our place to punish others. Jesus says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And if it's criminal, you go into the 13th chapter and the Lord says, that is why I ordained government. They are my ministers and I will allow them to execute for the wrongdoings. Listen. You want to hurt your marriage? You think that your place is to use your words to punish your spouse. It's not your place to ever punish your spouse. It's not your place to ever punish a coworker. It's not your place to punish a neighbor next door. Brethren, we're talking about something you have to decide if you believe God or not. God is right. Do you believe him? Do you, can you say right now, I will be distinctively Christian. Nobody else on the world does this. 
Only Christians do this. How are we going to use our tongue? We're going to take out the anger language where we think it's our place to put people in their place. It's not. You want to be different? You want to be like the image of Christ? There are ways that our tongue should never be used. Wrath is very similar to that. It deals with a fierce indignation. Malice, malice is bad. It's wickedness. How many times do we use our tongue before we go into something that's bad and wicked? Let's use an extreme example. You think those brothers in Boston, do you think they've spent any time over the past few months talking about all their plans? You look and see what happened in Boston recently and what you see is you see the actions. What preceded the action? Words, words that were malicious words. Listen, if we guard our tongue and we do not allow ourselves to get into conversations talking about bad things and wicked things, we're going to find ourselves avoiding behavior that is bad and wicked. We can't get pulled in to this arena of gossip, to this arena of malicious intent, to this arena where we want to stab people in their back verbally. That's not what Christians do. And do you see that if we're doing these things at work, if we're doing these things with our neighbor, and then we're popping by and saying, love to invite you to Friends Day, God has to be shuddering and saying, no, you are not the one that ought to be inviting. You're a poor, poor example of how the tongue is to be used. Blasphemy. It's speaking and railing, especially against God, but it could be against others. Definitely, again, the usage of the tongue and a lack of respect and reverence for God. Don't use God's name in vain and then turn around and invite somebody to a friend's day. It makes no sense. It's just, it's so wrong. It's so wrong. We need to make sure that, that we have our life, our tongue pure where we are walking and talking the Christian life before we try to help others come into this. And then finally, or not finally, but next to the last, he mentions filthy communication. You're going to probably think, well, he's weird. I spent probably more time than I ought to this week of trying to figure out if I have legitimate concern or if I'm just getting old. Have you noticed how there is no more decency? The Red Sox player that goes on the field just yesterday to hype up his team. And he describes the type of city they are with a word that is unthinkable. And it was just to fire up the crowd and they fired up. Kmart has come out with an ad that is a play on words that sounds like everybody in the ad is cursing and they say the word probably 30 times in a 30 second ad. And I was reading an MSN article about it and the article was from the standpoint of millionmoms.com is urging Kmart to pull the ad and I scrolled through probably and I scrolled through a lot more than I usually would but I just couldn't believe what I was reading. I was, I was just kind of pulled into it. I couldn't believe what I was reading. I probably scrolled through 75 comments and probably 95% of the comments were men and women that were saying, I love the ad. I can't believe that these mothers are against the ad. Why would they be? And several of them said, I sat down and showed my young children this ad and we all laughed and thought it was hysterical. 
Brethren, I'm begging you tonight to realize that wrong is wrong no matter what America does and where the gutter they travel. We have to decide, is God telling the truth or is he not when he says that people walk after the image of Christ do not have filthy language consistently, ever? Do we believe it? Our airstreams are filled. Our friends' mouths are filled. And let's hope that it's not our mouths that are filled with such filthy language. The idea of filthy language right there in the original text is vile. And vile means shameful. In other words, God is saying, you ought to be turning red. You ought to be embarrassed with such language. And we must cry out. We can't live for the world. And we can't set the standard for the world. But if we are living with Christ, he has set the standard. And Christ wants to know, where's the embarrassment? Where are the people that's willing to say, that is wrong? And then finally, he says, lying. How comfortable are people today lying? If you're sitting in this pew here tonight, do you realize that Revelation makes it very clear that God won't even accept you into heaven if you're a liar? He is serious about us using our tongue in a way that is righteous. And you say, well, it's just a little lie. You take that up with God. With God, there is no such thing as saying, I'm not really concerned if my tongue's consistent and righteous or not. God's concerned with whether or not your tongue is consistent in righteousness. And you go down that list right there, and our workplaces and our communities and our Little League baseball teams are full of this kind of stuff. And I don't know how picking on Little League baseball, okay? Any of the, any of the teams. They're full of this kind of thing. Now here's the question. Are we going to be different? Christians ought to be so distinctively different that when someone invites them to church, their first thought is, they really are different. And there's something about them that I admire. There's some kind of stability in their life. There's some kind of security. There's some kind of purity in their life that I want to know more about that. All right, well, let's, let's read on. Notice that there's also, when we think about this gracious talk, there's things that we have to add. And, and I want to go through this next line a little bit quicker because I want us to close with Ephesians so that you can see how this all works together and how I just want you to see that I'm not using it out of context where the Lord is really, he has speech on his mind when he says these things. But look at verse 12. Therefore is the elect of God, holy and beloved. And now we have the list to put on. And as you think about this, because we've got to make a little more time here, just think about these as it relates to your tongue. How could you do these things if you didn't do them at least in part through language. I'm not saying that it's 100% language, but our language, our tongue has to be involved in these things. And so he says, beloved, put on tender mercies. Tender mercies is, is pity. How can I tell you that I pity you if I don't come up and vocalize that? Am I gonna laugh at you when you're going through a difficult time? Or am I gonna pity you and say, what can I do to help? What is our tongue being used for? Notice the next one, kindness. Kindness is not just a thought. Kindness is when we do and say things that are kind. Look at the next one, humility. Here in this particular text in, in Colossians, in the Greek, this word is a compound word. And the humility here has to do with that great idea of humility. And my mind has just gone blank. It, it is a compound word and it has to do 
It's a compound word. The two words are humility and mind. You see, it's not acting. It's humility. Are you truly humble in your mind? The way you think, are you acting humble or are you humble? How different is our language going to be when we really do not look at anyone and see ourselves better than them? Our language is going to be naturally a language of humility toward them if we truly believe in our mind that we are humble. Notice meekness has to do with gentleness. What about long-suffering? Is our language long-suffering? When someone hurts you, how do you talk to them then? If we are long-suffering, our language shouldn't change that much. We should be willing to turn the other cheek. And, and we're going to get here to forgiveness, but let's look at the next one. Bearing with one another, to shoulder up underneath someone's load. How would we talk to them if we thought it was our place to share a burden with them instead of standing back and gossip about the burden they're bearing? Do we gossip about their burden? Do we act like we don't see their burden? Or do we go out over to them and see what we could do to share that burden? And then he talks about forgiveness. And then forgiveness is huge. The idea of forgiveness in this root is to offer favor. Isn't that interesting how close that is to also grace? Grace also means to offer favor. In other words, you offer forgiveness to somebody not because they deserve it. Are you getting this? You offer forgiveness to somebody not because they deserve it. You offer it to them because you're offering them a favor. If they have truly hurt you, they don't deserve to be forgiven by human logic. It is because of what the Lord has done for us that we offer a favor toward them. And that's literally what the word forgiveness means. Well, we have language that reflects that forgiveness. And then, and then notice this last one here. And above all these things, love. How do we love? Does our language reflect the fact that we truly, truly love? Now, you're right there at Colossians 4. I want you to look at that one more time in Colossians 4. And I would like for you to see that verse again that we've been talking about all day. Let your speech always be with grace. We've just talked about that. Notice this next part, and we're going to have to close with this next part. Seasoned with salt. What does that mean? Gracious words seasoned with salt. What does salt do? It enhances flavor, but it also is a preservative. You can take meats that would otherwise spoil and you can salt them down and they will last for months and months and months. It's a preservative. It also is an agent to heal. You know that I grew up on a farm. When, when, we, when we cut ourselves, my grandparents, my dad, the regular routine, you came in that night and you knew what was coming. Nobody felt sorry for you. That's the thing that I think is strange when I look back. Nobody felt sorry for you. Didn't matter how bad it was, they, they put a pot of warm water, salt water, and they stuck your hand in it. You know how that hurts? Isn't that interesting? Salt hurts. It, are your gracious words always just to be niceties? Oh, they're a Christian. Everything they say is bubbly and nice. No, he says, sometimes you're going to have to speak with salt in it. But you know what it does? Even though it stings, speak the truth in love, even though it stings, it helps heal. Were you, will you be willing to say what needs to be said in love to produce eternal healing? You know, the best example I can say to you quickly about that, that all of us will say, I know that. What about Nathan? What about when he went to David? Do you think it was easy for him to say those salty words? Picture yourself. You're talking to one of the most powerful kings that has ever walked this earth. 
one of the greatest kings that's ever walked this earth. And you're going to have to walk up to him and say, David, you are the man. You know what? Those were gracious words and those gracious words were seasoned with salt and I guarantee you his palms were sweating and it wasn't easy to do. What about if, if you were Ananias having to go to Saul? And when you get there, what are you going to tell him to do? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. If I would have been Ananias the whole way there, I would have been saying, God, why do you want me to do this? You're trying to get me killed. You think it wasn't hard for him to walk in and to say those gracious words that were seasoned with salt? Saul, you're not okay. You're not okay. There's more you need to do. What I need to do, arise, be baptized. How does this work in Scripture? You just saw how Colossians 3 fit right into Colossians 4. To close this evening, I want you to drop back to the sister epistle of Ephesians 4, and I want you to see the sister passage of the one we just left, and I want you to see how instead of using the salt, which was the positive way of saying this, he begins this verse that we're about to read by using the very same teaching, but he uses the negative approach. Look at the fourth chapter in verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. What kind of word? Words that aren't salty. Corrupt means rotten. It means to corrode. It means to weaken. Like right now, if I was on this stage and this board was rotten, it would be weak and eventually it would fall through. What kind of words? He says, don't let corrupt words. And what, how did he say in Colossians? Let salt. What does salt do? It heals, it preserves, it strengthens. You see, he's teaching the very same thing. One place it's a positive, one place it's a negative, but it's the very same thing. Right here, he's talking about salty words, except he's using the opposite. Don't let corrupt words. Now, just to point out how it's similar to the other passage, how many corrupt words? No. And it's singular. No corrupt word. God's serious about the way we use our tongue. Proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for the necessary edification. Edification is to build up, but it really comes in its root from architecture. Are you going to build up something? If you're going to build up someone else, what are you going to say to build them up? If you're going to build up your kids, what are you going to use your language and how are you going to use it to build them up? You're going to build up your spouse. You're going to build up your neighbor. You're going to build up a coworker. Do you have an architectural plan the way you're going to use your language to help build them up? You can't use corrupt words that tears them down one day and then edifying words that builds them up the other day. What God is trying to show us over and over in all these verses we've read today, consistency. Consistency. Thou art a jewel. What if we could get to the place where we sound in our language the same gracious way, whether it's the best of times or the worst of times, whether we're being rewarded or being persecuted. And now, uh, notice the rest of this. It ties right in. So we have the unnecessary edification that it may impart what? Grace to the hearers. And do not what? Grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't separate those two. Notice the conjunction and. He has just talked about the way that we use our tongue. And then he says, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. God cares. The Spirit of God cares how we use our tongue. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And so he comes right out of this language of using our tongue. And you can just glance down at 31 and 32. And see how that's the same list in Colossians 3? Almost similar, very, very similar, almost same list that we just read in Colossians 3. And it's all tied to the tongue. 
My great aunt, well, no, my aunt, my aunt Wilma was a special lady. And I guess one of the reasons why I thought she was a special lady is she always treated me special. She was so sweet to me. I want to read you this poem, and you can read along on the screen. And I want you to think about the way you use your words. And she entitled this poem. She wrote this, of course. Uh, she's passed away now, but late in her life, she wrote a lot of poetry. She said, once upon a word. I want you to think about your neighbors. I want you to think about your co-workers. I want you to think about your, your parents, your children, your, your grandparents, your grandchildren. Encouraging words can hope inspire. A brutal tongue can start a fire. Truthful words can set one free. Words of comfort cheer you and me. Sharp words can pierce the heart. Soothing words can peace impart. Words of hate can sear the soul. Words of love can make one whole. Condemning words are hard to bear. Constructive words communicate care. Compliments can lift to a lofty height. Beautiful words have the power to delight. Harsh words can kindle strife. Wise words can change a life. You notice that last line? Wise words can change a life. Maybe in summary, that's what God was trying to tell us in the passage we've studied today. How are you going to reach, verse 5, those who are on the outside, Colossians 3? He says, let's talk about your language, Colossians 3 and 6. Your words, your words has the power to change someone's life. I hope that all of us will evaluate and that all of us will focus and that we'll really give heart and give study and give prayer that we're using our tongue the way God would want us to. Not only for our own soul's sake, but so that we really can bless the lives of those that are around us. This evening, if your life isn't right with God, don't leave. Don't leave until you've made it right. By God's grace, you can make it right. If you're a brother or sister that wants to make things right, repent and come back and let's pray. Maybe you've never become a, a child of God and tonight you want to do that. We'd love to assist you with being baptized into Christ. If we can help you.